Hey y'all, welcome to Wild Confidence. I'm your host, Ainsley B, and I can't wait to share with you some amazing guests on this season of the podcast. Our goal here is to help one another find, keep, and share our wild confidence in Christ. I'm so thankful you're joining us, and if you love the episode today, I'd be so grateful if you left a review or shared it with a friend. All right, all right, let's hop in. I can't wait to meet our guest today. In 2019, after watching many of her peers walk away from the church and their faith, Natalie began Raised to Stay, a ministry for those who have wandered, wondered, and wrestled with the church and the challenges of full-time ministry. Known for her black boxes of hard truth on social media for the church and church leaders, her heart is to see a generation finish their race as they partner with a good father who is faithful to complete the work he began in each of us. Natalie lives in Kentucky with her husband, Tony, and their two daughters. She's a sought-after speaker in the local and global church and just released her first book published with David C. Cook in July. You can learn more about Raised to Stay on Instagram at Raised to Stay. Natalie is such an amazing human being. I absolutely loved our conversation, and I just felt like she was a soul sister. So I'm excited for you to hear um, from Natalie. Let's hop in. I'm so excited to hang out with you. I'm already, we've been talking for like 15 minutes and I'm already just like, I felt like you were the cup of coffee that I need this morning. (laughs) Natalie, welcome to Wild Confidence. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course. How are you today? I am good. It is beautiful. It's a fall day in Kentucky. Everything is colored and I've got a bowl of candy corn here. So I'm like ready to go. (laughs) Okay. I'm so obsessed with just Nashville, Kentucky fall, like it is the most amazing thing ever. I wa- I was in Nashville the other day. I walked out of the front door and I started crying because I was like, it's 70 degrees and it's not that way in Louisiana ever. So I'm just so jealous. Yes, it is like <laughs> one of the best surprises. We just moved back from Colorado. We were in Colorado for like seven years. So to come back and, and be where there's like a true fall is just really special. So where were you in Colorado? I was in Colorado Springs. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Colorado is my like soul state. Like if I were a state, I feel like I would be Colorado. Even though I don't (laughs) go there very often, but we got married in Colorado. So I just love Uh, it. It's beautiful. It's the best. Okay. So we're going to hop right in because I feel like you are just a fountain of wisdom and wealth of knowledge that I am like ready for everyone to hear. (laughs) So you have a book called Raised to Stay, and it's one of those books that I firmly believe is like absolutely necessary, absolutely timely, shaking the the ground with revelation and just knowledge and just things that we need to hear as Christians in a church. So what inspired you to write Raised to Stay? Well, I think I've always wanted to write a book about church. I'm a pastor's kid, then went straight into full-time ministry out of college. I, I've always been intrigued by church culture and just how it affects individuals from all the way from like being on a staff to growing up in it, to being new in it. And so as I was getting older and I was watching my own friends leave the faith, it was Mm. so discouraging because I knew how hard ministry was. I myself was wanting to quit and wanting to kind of tap out. And so as I 
began to look at our culture around 2019, seeing all of this deconstruction stuff, seeing all of this, um, you know, conversation starting on social media, the Lord really began to give me this passion to see the church united in a fresh way. And for me, it was just this kind of call to action to say, look, I know we all want to quit and we all have really good reason to want to quit, but why are we going to stay? And it's always going to be Jesus. We're always going to stay because of Jesus. And that's really where uh, the book kind of took off was just this conversation of let's be honest about how hard it is to not only be a Christian, but to dedicate our lives to serving imperfect people. And that's where it started. And this is where we are today, prayerfully starting to have those conversations that will bring healing. Yes, but I think that your book ushers in those conversations, and that is what's so beautiful, because I have had so many conversations with people talking about how they're deconstructing, or there was somebody who like wouldn't um, partner with me on something because they were like, you are not deconstructing, and I'm like, correct, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm no, I'm not, I don't know what else to tell you there, but it's so, it's almost like trending. Like I, and I don't fully understand it, but I'm curious, like what you think about, like why it could be, or if it's kind of trending and why do you think that this is happening? Why do you think people are turning away from the church? I think it's been since like the very beginning of time. I mean, I think a you know, around creation, we start, we start to see people mm. questioning God's voice. And we see Adam and Eve uh, disobeying God's voice. I mean, I think everyone wrestles, it's just social media has made it now a public wrestling. And what I love yeah. about deconstruction when it's done right, is that we can detangle from religion. We can detangle from shame and guilt and some of the religion that has been placed on us unfairly, not by God or by Jesus, but through just church and people who have kind of decided what sin is sin and what's not sin. And so I think deconstruction with the right framework to reconstruct is actually really healthy and something that we all do all the time. I went to secular college after being a pastor's kid and really had an opportunity to take a look at the things that people had put on me that weren't God. And I was able to, in a healthy way with mentors and disciplers, wrestle through my faith and come out better and stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit, which was a gift. I do think that as Christians, we can't panic when we hear that our kids or somebody we love is going through deconstruction. Deconstruction is not deconversion, mm. but it could be if we don't have the right systems in place to help us grow and mature. And so I can understand why people need to deconstruct. I also can understand why people panic because deconstruction has given people the opportunity to just throw their faith away. And if they were looking for an out, they have one now. So, you know, yeah. it, it goes both ways. There's a healthy deconstruction and then there's a very detrimental deconstruction. Yes, you're 100% right. And I'm trying to think of like, okay, what, what does it look like to do deconstruction right? What are the systems in place or what are the systems that we could put in place for that to be in a, a healthy journey or like an okay journey? What do you think those systems kind of look like? 
Well, we need to be in a church family. That that's a hands down. You you really can't deconstruct your faith without being mm. part of a body of believers who are going to hold you accountable, but also hold your hand and walk you through that. So whether or not you're on a college campus and you're part of Campus Crusade for Christ or athletes in action, whatever you might be part of, there needs to be a faith community around you to help you wrestle with those questions and to not make you feel guilty for having the questions and to sit with us in the tension of, is it me? Is it the church? Is this really happening? I think a lot of people deconstruct in isolation and then the enemy gets yeah. a foothold in there. And then it just really goes downhill quick because there are so many accounts and social media places where you can go to basically just have people validate your pain without taking oh. you to the healer. Right. Yeah. So I think having a church family in place to really help sit with us in those spaces of tension and not uh, blame us, not shame us for having questions, but walk us through the hard and holy conversations that need to be had. Number two, we have to know the word of God and we can deconstruct our faith all day long, but it will just end up being in a pile of ruin at the end of the day. If we don't know the Bible, the Bible is actually the blueprint to building a healthy church. It's a healthy blueprint for healthy faith. So when we are struggling with our faith, the first blueprint we should be looking at to rebuild is the word of God. And if all we're doing is learning about faith through Instagram, hot takes and different, um, celebrity pastors who may not even be preaching the gospel, we are going to rebuild on another faulty foundation that will crumble yet again. So we have to have biblical community and know the word of God and finally have an actual relationship with Jesus outside of the church. John 15 talks about abiding. And when I made raise mm. to stay, it wasn't about staying in a church. It was about abiding in Christ. If you will abide in me, I will abide in you. Another word for this is remain. If you will remain in me, I will remain in you. And they will know that you are mine because you will bear good fruit. And so when we stay connected to Jesus, even if we can't stay in a church, we will still continue to, to produce good fruit, even through seasons of deconstruction. And Again, I'm not against deconstruction. I just believe we need to have these different policies and kind of framework in place to help us do it well. Yeah, that is the perfect framework. And I think that the thing that I'm hearing as I'm thinking, okay, if I'm talking to someone who's deconstructing all of these three points, which are so, yes, 100% correct. I'm hearing them say like, well, I just don't have time to be in a church family or serve. I just don't have time to get into the word. I don't have time to walk with the Lord. And that I feel like is what the enemy is latching onto is busyness. And I'm just as, you know, guilty of filling my schedule too much. And I've tried to be super intentional about, okay, I'm going to limit myself to X, Y, Z. And I suddenly found myself with time and panicking, not knowing what to do with it, even just an hour. And I was like, what <laughs> do I clean? Do I do that? No, I just sit with the Lord. Do you find that busyness is the, is an issue or do you feel like there's other excuses that people come up with? Well, I think we can come up with a million different excuses to not sit in the presence of God. I mean, what happens in the presence of God is we're convicted. We are yeah. shown things about ourselves that 
aren't great. Um, we aren't able to remain in victim status when the Holy Spirit begins to convict us on maybe how we've partnered with some of our pain. And that's why we don't like silence. That's why we remain mm. busy is mm. because busyness keeps us from actually having to quiet our hearts and our souls and be in a conversation with the Lord that may not uh, validate our victimhood, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so there's a there's a lot of busyness. The enemy, I think his second scheme outside of just complete and total trying to kill, steal, and destroy is to get the people of God so busy they can't hear God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I think those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just because they got baptized as babies, not just because they were raised in church, but those who truly know God and God knows them, deconstruction is something that is helpful and not harmful. Because mm-hmm. I believe anyone who walks away from God after deconstruction didn't actually really know God. Because if they really knew God, they would know that he's patient and kind and that he's not in a hurry with their healing. And I yeah. would also argue that they don't want to be healed. If we're not willing to go to the pool and let God <sighs> heal us, or we're not willing to surround ourselves with friends who will lower us through a roof, then we don't want healed. We just want to be validated for our pain. And, you know, there's just some reality that we have to be honest. We have to be honest and call it for what it is. Some people just don't want to be healed. And some people don't want the church to succeed. And some people are bitter. And if that's the case, then deconstruction is the perfect out um, from not just their faith or walk with the Lord, but from ever having to show back up into a church again. And so, you know, I just, I question if people actually have actually known the Lord as their Lord and savior, um, or if it was just a transactional thing that they were forced to do when they were growing up. Yes, absolutely. I think in, this is a podcast, so you can't see my face, but I, my eyes got big, like multiple times while you were saying that as like little light bulbs were going off because I think you're so spot on. And I'm also thinking of like the people who walk away from church, like, and think that it's God, but they're really walking away from people. Like they can't differentiate that the church is made up of people and it's people who are going to disappoint us. And God is going to be the one that's our constant and the one that we can hope in. So how do we keep that mindset as we go into church? Like, how do we remember that? How do we keep that framework of like, okay, I am here to serve the church even and know that the church is made up of broken people that need the Lord. Like, how do we reconcile that? Well, first of all, we have to be able to distinguish the difference between somebody being physically, sexually, spiritually abused And Mm. they're just being this hurt that happens because of a relational fallout or something that is very human and natural. So obviously, if you're being abused in a church, you've got to get out of that church. We wouldn't tell somebody to stay in an abusive marriage. So we're certainly going to tell you to stay in a church where you are being neglected or hurt in any way, shape, or form. But when it comes down to relational pain, relational hurt in the local church, I have never in my life been hurt more than anywhere else than I have been in the church. I have had teaching jobs. I have had sales jobs. I have been in Hollywood. I have been 
do I've done a million things. I am like Dora, the explorer of life. <laughs> I, I have tried a little bit of everything yeah. and nothing, nothing has hurt me as bad as the church. And yeah. so I do understand why people are hesitant who didn't grow up in this, who have no context. They get hurt by somebody who's supposed to protect them, hurt by an organization that's supposed to shelter them. I understand the tension then of wanting to go back. But what we have to realize is that we can empathize with each other and say, man, I am really sorry. I'm really sorry that happened. I believe you. I hear mm-hmm. you. I sit with mm-hmm. you in the pain of that scenario. And I want to see you healed from that. But I will not sympathize with anyone that because one church hurt them or one leader hurt them, that the church and all churches and leadership are bad. And I think we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And so we have to know what to look for in a healthy church, knowing that even if the church is healthy, there could still be leaders who aren't. And so we have to start saying, here's my boundary. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get involved in a small group. That's going to be my first step. Or I'm just going to show up on Sunday morning and sit in the back or whatever that might look like, but baby steps towards finding that healthy church, knowing that it could take four or five churches before you find one. Um, but that God is not in a hurry with our healing and healing is not linear. It can take Mm -hmm. time, but the longer we're out of it, the easier it is not to go back. So I always suggest if you need to take a break, that's fine. Just don't let it be so far of a break that it becomes a habit to not be going into church on Sunday morning. Yeah. Oh, that is, and that's, that one was for me (laughs) because I worked at a church whenever we lived in Houston And then when we moved to Baton Rouge, it was COVID and then I got pregnant and then I was postpartum and then I was tired. (laughs) So my thing was like, oh, like that just sounds like so exhausting. But then as soon as we went, we finally were like, okay, we need to actually, we need to make this commitment and go. It was so life-giving and it was so just like, it felt so comforting to be back in corporate worship and just to be back in a place that I was like, I feel like this is a solid, solid place. So I think that what you're saying is so good because if we do create that habit of not going, there is just this element because I've never felt closer to the Lord in these seasons, right? Like I've never been more dependent of the Lord in my private prayer closet in the throne room. I have never felt more just overwhelmed by God. But there's something about that community. There's something about that corporate worship that is just so necessary for our hearts. And I just, I think that's so um, spot on. And I think that it it has become a habit for a lot of people. And it's not that they don't want to, it's just like, oh, I'm just, it's easier to stay home than get pack up and go and get all the kids and stuff together and go. It is. And you go know, alone. The- Absolutely. Well, and you know, the church is God's idea. So anything Mm -hmm. that's God's idea is a good idea. And and we see throughout scripture, what happens when two or more gather and his name, I mean, miracles happen and people are healed. And, and maybe the miracle is just that you find a healthy community. It doesn't have to be supernatural. I mean, miracles happen every day when people come together and, and yes, it can be in our homes. It could be at a Bible study. You know, we can thank God we live in America. I mean, we can, we can really create biblical community wherever we go. So I just love in the scriptures, it says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. And that's really like what Mm. we want to do is, is to be in the gathering of the saints to edify and courage and to speak life over one another. And that's what happens in churches. I mean, aside from the Sunday morning sermon and and worship, 
what's happening in the foyer before and after service is just as vital as what's happening in the sanctuary. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So spot on. I mean, whenever I remember when we went, I just felt immediately seen and known, like just even strangers, they were strangers, but it was just like, oh, we have a commonality of faith. And it just felt like, oh, I can just trust. I can just trust like that you and I at least have a similar, you know, vein in who we, who we trust with eternity. Um, whenever I'm thinking about some of the things that are just important to me in a church and important in general, in my opinion, I think of discipleship as one of those things. How important in your opinion is discipleship and what should it look like? Discipleship is biblical, first of all. I mean, it's the whole Jesus had 12. We need to have our people that we are, you know, teaching and leading. I see Paul and Timothy. I think what stops us a lot of times is that we find our Judas before we find a Paul. Mm. And it, it's hard when you've been betrayed by a leader or you've been let down by someone. And so whether it's a Saul or a Judas, you're kind of like, well, I don't really want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody knowing my uh, personal details. And so we kind of turn away from anything that holds us accountable or keeps us humble. It's why the church and marriage right now are the two institutions that are failing in our, in our culture is because we don't yeah. want people to correct us. We don't want people to um, have a say in some decisions that might not be great. So discipleship is something that is from the very beginning been a good idea. We just have a tendency to want to figure things out on our own. And so if you're going to survive ministry, if you're going to survive a life, we need people in our lives who are older than us, who have gone ahead of us, who are going to pray for us, who are going to be active participants in our faith journey. And that could be a counselor, that could be a spiritual director, it could be a parent or a grandparent, but we need discipleship. And our generation has kind of been skipped over. I don't know that those of us in our forties really had any discipleship because the baby boomers and the traditionalists were so busy building their churches that they forgot we yeah. were here. And now we're the bridges trying to bridge the gap between the baby boomers and, and the millennials. And what's hard about that is that we weren't really discipled. So now my generation is having to learn how to be what we needed. And mm -hmm. to step into the churches and to start training up the millennials and Gen Z and Gen Xers to say like, come on, let's go. We're, we're all in this together, but we have to make sure that we ha are equipped to be those disciplers. So discipleship, I believe, is the key for longevity. I, I think if we're going to keep on having, um, if we're going to establish healthy church and keep putting leaders into positions, we have to be willing to disciple and be discipled. Yeah, which can encourage that staying. I mean, whenever you finally find that community and that regular, you know, rhythm of attendance and trust with other people like that, you don't want to leave that. And you can, mm -hmm. that can facilitate that healthy environment of asking questions of wrestling with the Lord and being like, what do you mean by this? What is this yeah. supposed to look like? What da, 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 da. Um, I'm also thinking, there's this, and I don't, this is also just like a, a thought that just popped in my head. So feel free to shoot it down or correct it. But I'm also thinking it's this unhealthy journey of deconstruction. I am seeing feels a lot like the apple in the garden where it is this um, need for knowledge or need for power that if they don't understand something quite right, that it can't be can't be real. It can't be true. 
can you help me filter that out or help me flesh that out? Like, does that feel like totally off base or does that feel like it could be? I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you have to think about it. I mean, the whole reason Satan was kicked out of the, of heaven is because he wanted to have power. He wanted yeah. to have control. And so the enemy's tactic all this time has been to convince us all we don't need God, that yeah. we can make our own decisions. We can make our own choices. And did God really say that? Did God really uh, want you to really do that? Or did you maybe misinterpret that? Or did the church make you feel guilty for thinking that? I mean, there's so much torment that is going on in our heads because mm. again, we're isolated. COVID did not help this. We are yes. isolated. We have decided that we are right in our own eyes. We have decided that our justice is greater than truth and biblical truth. We have completely forsaken any type of holiness or consecration that would set us apart from the world. And so, of course, the enemy is having a heyday with the deconstructed church right now because he knows that many people will not ever actually rebuild their faith. They will never go through that humility of actually saying, wow, I was wrong. God is real. And I want to rebuild my life on Jesus. There is, once you get to a certain point of this deconstruction, it really is destruction. Yeah. And so the enemy is, doesn't have to work too hard because we as Christians are falling for his same old lie from the garden hook, line, mm-hmm. sinker. And so, I mean, I get passionate and fired up about it because people, their, their eternity is online on this stage yeah. here because of a lie that we've been believing since creation. Which is so, so insane. Like we couldn't get it together. <laughs> right. Right. Humanity and we and just truly can't. We we're not mad at the right enemy. We're mad at everybody else. We're mad at yeah. the denomination. We're mad at leaders. We're mad at each other. We're we're mad at everybody except the one we're supposed to be truly warring against. So, <laughs> you know. It's, it's such a divisive environment right now that we're in, especially in church culture. And I will be honest, church people are the worst people. And I mean, church mm-hmm. people are absolutely incapable of having hard conversations without it becoming political yes. or denominational. And, you know, right now, the worst thing that we can do is get combative with one another. And the best thing we could do is put up this unified front of no, we're drawing our line in the sand. This is a healthy, we're going to have healthy churches. We're going to have healthy leaders. And when people deconstruct, we're going to invite conversation without defending the bad behavior of the church. And we are going to welcome in the prodigals. We don't care what they look like. And we are going to be the house that Jesus would build. We're going to be this house that Jesus would be proud of, but we are going to have to do some deconstructing of our own, of some of the celebrity culture, some of the uh, consumer you. culture. I mean, we're going to have to deconstruct ourselves here a little bit as believers and say, what have we adopted into our churches that is not even biblical? Yeah, there is. The, that is the thing that you said about celebrity culture. I That is just burning in me right now is like, we have got to get rid of it. We've got to get rid of the celebrity culture. I am writing a woman's life story and she's 81 and it's the best project ever because I literally feel like I'm just being discipled every time we sit down. And she was talking about these small churches that her husband pastored and how she was so inclined to, you know, they would get promoted, quote unquote, in a large church and they would be like, oh, we're leading this, we're leading that. And then the Lord would call her husband to this smaller church and then it happened again and it happened again. And she was like, I was so, you know, my humanity was 
bent towards these larger audiences, but the fruit that I saw and the community that I saw and the miracles that I saw were so much more in those smaller churches where we would have lunch together after church. The whole church would sit down at a long table and just have lunch together. And I'm like, what? Like, that's just such a foreign concept to me. I've never done that. I've never actually did whenever I was little, went to their one of their church services because it's my grandmother's friend. So I remember the one thing that I remember from that church being younger and going was the lunch, how they had lunch afterwards. And I was like, you know, that stuck with me, even as a kid being like, this is cool. <laughs> we all get to eat yeah. together. Well, because I, I don't the know. I'm just... Well, the church is supposed to be a family. Yeah. And we've lost a lot of the family aspect of church because everybody's so busy. We go back to this busy thing. Well, the pastors mm-hmm. need to go to the green room and they need to meet with yes. you know their special guests that are here. And, you know, the, the worship team needs to, you know, pack up all their stuff and they need to get out the door. So God forbid, nobody asks for their autograph because everybody knows the worship team's famous. I mean, there's like so much of us and them yes. happening in the church where we're supposed to be a family. Mm-hmm. And I, I will die on this hill. I will die on this hill that part of the reason we've lost community is because of places like green rooms and churches, That'd because be we started separating people based off of talent or based off of visibility. That and, is. and we didn't like, we, we, we need to level the playing field again in the church and, and remind everybody that the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And I don't care if you showed up at 7 a.m., to do a band rehearsal, there was a kid's worker who was disinfecting toys at 7 a.m. And they don't get a green room to take a nap between services. Like we need to be the family of God, break bread together, work hard together and not keep leveling who's important and who's not. And I believe that revival will come when we as the church repent for the policies we've adopted to make ourselves famous and not available to anybody who would come in. So, you know, I, I feel like this church hurt conversation is starting to resolve. I don't see as much deconstruction as being popular anymore. It was a fad. Anything that is going to tear down the church is not going to survive. The Lord is not going to let it. Um, he's not going to stand for it. So I see a lot of these people who are talking about deconstruction, their accounts aren't growing Their Uh, their language is remaining the same because God will not bless anyone who is trying to destroy his church. So we're now starting to see a healing and people starting to have better conversation. And I think that the revival is coming as we repent for hurting people for hurting the church, but also you know, repenting for our own personal sin that we've let into our lives. I believe the the revival's coming, but we will have to be willing to make some changes. Yeah. I just recently um, repented of fear, which was something that I just didn't even know was kind of ruling over my life. And I feel like it's also those, I don't want to say little sins because all sins are the same, but like, it felt like a little one because it wasn't like just outright, you know, whatever. Right. And, but it was so big. And that, that when I did that, it allowed me to let more people in because I was like, no, I'm not fearful anymore. Like it it just, it changed a lot for me. And I, I think that that is necessary for a lot of people. We don't even realize like to examine, to ask the Lord, to examine our hearts in areas that we don't even realize we're walking in sin in. Yeah. Or so much of this, like so much pride, so much pride, so much pride. 
like I've, I've really had to, you know, repent for pride, for religious pride, for, um, you know, I I just even like unforgiveness and, and offense, like I've been carrying offense. And it was funny. I turned in my next book to my, I turned in my my second book to the publisher and she wrote me back my editor and was like, I, I feel like you're angry. (laughs) And I was like, angry. And then I went back and read a story that I told of getting hurt. And I realized, oh, I am like, I haven't repented of that offense that I've still been carrying. And it's coming out in me trying to minister to the church. And, you know, we, we need that. We need to be able to repent from those things that are holding us back Mm. from running this race. Yes. You're 100%. I'm, I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. I could just shout you down all day. So uh, the last question I have for you is what's one thing you'd ask someone to examine if they're thinking about leaving the church? Oh man. I, you know, the first thing is I would say I would, I would try to distinguish between have I truly been hurt or am I offended? Mm. Because offense, John Bevere, the bait of Satan, right? John Mm -hmm. Bevere talks about how so many times these offenses start off as minor irritations or as inconveniences or as things that hurt our feelings. And the enemy allows those things to take root until we are so burdened by offense that it has become church hurt or in a lot of our minds abuse in some ways. And so I would say to take some time before you just make the decision to up and go to pray, to fast, to seek wise counsel, maybe go to a counselor or a spiritual director or to a disciple or somebody you trust who knows you and ask them to listen to your story, to unpack some of the things that have happened to you, conversations you've had. Don't make the decision alone is what I'm saying, because yeah. the truth is, is that there are some abusive leaders and there are some abusive churches, but they're not every church and it's not every leader. So the mm-hmm. likelihood of this being something that could be resolved through a really difficult conversation that ends in reconciliation where you stay or a difficult conversation that doesn't end in reconciliation and you feel freedom to go. That is the likelihood if you're willing to contend for unity and to really own your own part in this. So I would say, just take your time. Don't be in a hurry. Seek wise counsel, pray fast, but don't jump ship just because it's hard. Something being yeah. hard and something being abusive are two very different situations. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yes. I love that. That is so good. Oh, the, the thing that I love that is like a change, just blowing my mind right now is that I did not give you any of these questions prior to our conversation. And I'm like, yes to everything you said. Like there was, you just said everything so beautifully and eloquently. And I keep thinking so I put these little quote blurbs whenever I promote the episode, right? Or I post about it and I'm like, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I just love how you're phrasing things. And you know, it's a, it's a wonder you're a writer, you know? <laughs> so where can people get raised to say, where can we follow you? Where can we just get to know you more? Well, most of us hang out over at Instagram under Raised to Stay. I also have a couple of Facebook groups, Raised to Stay, Natalie Runyon. You can just jump into any of those. The book is everywhere on Amazon, Books a Million, Books, uh, gosh, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're really, I think the part that I'm really proud of about the book is that I wrote it for people who were just ready to have the conversation. And I just, 
love yeah. all of the DMs and all of the ways that this book is starting to provide language in yeah. our church staff and everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how uh, the church has received this book, not as a slap on the hand or, you know, uh, to disregard the voices of those who truly have been abused, but to begin the conversation of healing. Yes. I love that. I feel like it should be a required reading for every, <laughs> everyone who works at a church specifically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. You are Please. amazing. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and hanging out here on Wild Confidence. I hope that you feel encouraged and ready to tackle the day, feeling even more confident than you did before you started listening. I'd be so thankful if you left a review or shared this episode with a friend and I'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget, let's connect on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Ainsley B and I hope to meet you there.